Hello out there, this is Pamela Fagan Hutchins and you, whether on purpose or accidentally, have stumbled across or luckily found Moine Women and Writing, my show where I talk with other authors about their books. And I do tend to focus in on female characterization and, and what makes those women awesome to read. Um, but I like guys too, so it's all right. The um, show today is going to be in just a moment with Mary Helen Sheriff. You can see her over on the other side of the screen waving and looking beautiful. Um, but first, the announcements, the things I always have to say. Okay, here we go. This is a solely copyrighted and owned production of Authors on the Air Global Radio Network and uh, all hail to my producer, Pam Stack, who is a goddess. And uh, I have a new release coming out. Today is the 16th of March as we're taping the show. So on the 17th, the fifth novel in the Patrick Flint series completely drops. Ebook, audio, paperback, hardcover, large print, you name it, you got it. And you can read those books anywhere. Um, uh, excuse me, you can get those books free on Kindle Unlimited, or you can read all those other um, versions as well. Ask your library or your bookstore to order them from you if they don't have them. All right, last thing before we get to Mary Helen, and that is you can find my upcoming shows, watch my past shows, or um, see the books that we're going to be talking about. Download those ahead of time, get them ordered, and be ready when it's time to talk with these authors about their books. So enough of that. Let's get to the good stuff. Mary Helen Sheriff. Hello. Hi, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. And we talked for a moment before and you said it's okay to call you Mary, right? Either is fine. Cool. So this is Mary Helen Sheriff. We're going to call her Mary. And today we're going to be talking about your wonderful debut novel, mm -hmm. Boop and Eve's Road Trip. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you so much. So um, with with Mary Helen, we met through the Pulpwood Queens Book Club, which is a super organization. If you guys haven't heard of it and you're looking for a book club, they have um, online participation. It's the largest book club in the world. And so that's how I found out about your fantastic book and your fantastic website. I want to talk about both, um, but I want to start by hearing where you are. Where in the world is Mary this morning? I am um, just outside of Richmond, Virginia. Oh, cool. So is that your forever home? You've been a longtime Virginia person or? I've been, I was born in Maryland, but I don't remember it because I was little when we moved to Virginia. Um, but I grew up in Virginia Beach and yeah. um, I have been in the Richmond area for over 20 years now, though. So forever, maybe. We'll see. Haven't to it. Well, I like to ask these questions because it kind of sets us up in a moment when I start asking you about your book. Um, and I also was wondering, now, your background, this is from totally stalking you on, on um, the internet. You're teaching, right? I mean, yeah, all ages. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I started teaching elementary school. I did fifth graders. Um, I really liked that age, but the struggle for me was I had to teach every single subject. And yeah. um, I like my favorite thing about teaching a lot of times was like coming up with cool lesson plans and doing creative stuff. But doing that every day for seven subjects was <laughs> like super overwhelming. Yeah. Um, and maybe I guess four, whatever, anyway, a number of subjects. Um, so I did middle school where I could, I focused mostly on social studies um, and I taught seventh graders. And I think that age group, I know a lot of people are like afraid of middle schoolers. 
I think they're hilarious. <laughs> well, if you have a good sense of humor, they can be. Um, if you're yeah. their mother, um, she's not. <laughs> well, I have two of them right now in my house. <laughs> so you have two, kids, two teenagers or two kids? Two middle schoolers. Two middle schoolers, yeah. It is a little different. The yeah. angst feels different when it's coming from your kids. <laughs> oh my gosh. It does get easier. And it just, you know, it, so you know, we have um, five kids and the oldest and his wife have, as of COVID, made a, we hope a long, lifelong habit of moving back in with us for a few months out of the year. And it's lovely. But if a 13 year old child had said, you know, gosh, I want to live with you for the rest of my life, mom, I would have said no. Absolutely not. Um, and so you taught and you wrote and you're focusing on your writing now. Is it full time? Yeah. yeah. Awesome. So after I signed the contract, I um, at that point was I had been only working part time um, yeah. teaching dyslexic kids one on one. And I really actually love that job. Um, probably was my favorite of all the teaching jobs I'd had. So in some ways it was kind of hard to say, okay, I'm going to do this. But I found that um, between the part-time job and the mommy job, adding writing was still very part-time. Like it was yeah. just something that kind of like fit into the cracks. And you only have one debut novel. I didn't know the first thing about marketing. And I thought, you know, this has been my dream for like 20 years. I need to do everything I can to make this happen. So, you can, uh, yeah, you've got some smart stuff. And we'll talk about some of that smart stuff you're doing in a second because I think it's super interesting. But I do want you to, this is the moment all authors dread, tell us about your book. Condense five years of work or however much and, you know, 100,000 words into 30 seconds for us. Sure. <laughs> Eve's Road Trip is a love story between a college freshman named Eve who goes on a road trip with her grandma Boop through the uh, Southern United States looking for a missing relative. That was very well done, my dear. <laughs> I need to like, write mine out and practice them. I've got some interviews coming up for the new book in the next few days and people are gonna say, what's it about? And I'm gonna go, I don't know, I wrote it a long time ago. <laughs> it's a pretty cover. Um, so uh, when I read the book, I was really struck by the relationship between the various women characters in this book, uh, even even more than as is, there are some male characters that play roles, but it was really the women characters that jumped out at me. Um, and by the way, I just wanted to say that I did notice we're in your stomping grounds that you know in the location of this book. So it's areas you know well and love. It sounds like mm -hmm. as far as the setting goes. Um, Tell me, when you were writing this book, if you could relate most to one character personally, which one would it be? So personally, my I probably relate the most to Eve. Um, there are personal parts to all of the characters. But um, when I started writing this book, I was coming out of an episode of postpartum depression. Uh. And... As, and Eve is struggling with depression. And so part of my processing, the feelings I had been having, and again, I was doing better because I really wasn't really able to write when I was not in a good spot. Um, yeah. But once I was doing better, it kind of like to reflect back and look at how I was helped me in my healing process too. 
Um, and it's almost of, like journaling uh, in a way, yeah. you know, to write a character that's experiencing some of those feelings. Yeah. And part of what I was, one of the things I was kind of struggling with in the whole depression part of piece of it is a lot of times in literature, when there are people who are struggling with depression, it's been some awful traumatic event that triggers depression. And yeah. that's cool. And I'm not taking away from that. But what people don't talk about and what you don't see often is someone who's just depressed. Like yes. it's a hundred little things that have all just compiled and the chemistry and all of that. And, and they feel like a failure because they're depressed because they can't even tell you why. Right. Um, and so that's what I was trying to capture with Eve as like, here's just a normal girl who has sort of normal problems and yet everything's falling apart and she doesn't know what to do. And that makes it even worse that she feels like there's something wrong with her because she has no excuse to feel like this. I went through depression for uh, the latter half of my twenties that had absolutely no triggering event, you know? And so I totally relate to what you're saying that sometimes it just, the water goes over your head and you don't know why, but it does. And I, and I, it was one of the things that to me felt very natural about the book because I'd been through it, not tremendously older than she was. Um, but unless you have, it's really tough. And I, and I love that you shined a light on that. And another really tough subject that you tackled, because, you know, why not start out with all the hardest <laughs> family issues, um, was that Eve's grandmother had had a secret son that the rest of the family, most of them, didn't know about. Tell us a little bit about how that came to be a part of the book. And I'd love to hear that. Yeah, there's some family history behind that. Um, my grandmother who the timeline doesn't quite work um, as far as picture matching the book, but in the late forties, she had a child um, with Down syndrome and she was told by her doctor, by the community, by everyone that she needed to put the child in an institution because she wasn't equipped to care for him and that he wouldn't be safe in her house. Um, and, you know, at the time Down syndrome kids, and still do have some medical issues that often go hand in hand, often heart problems. Um, they're more likely to catch things like pneumonia and stuff like that. And I guess back then there wasn't the way, like they didn't have the medical ability from the house to take care of those sorts of things. Um, mm -hmm. Also some attitudes in small town communities and probably beyond that as well of like, you know, this is God's like curse on you. And I mean, yeah. just, awful things that were a part of the world she lived in when she had this child. Um, my grandmother defied people for about four years. And then she, my mom was born. And um, there was an incident that occurred that I do not know what it was, nor does my mother. But something happened and it made my grandmother very nervous about the safety of her infant in the house. Ah. Uh. Um, and my grandmother at this point had no support. Like the rest of the community pretended like her Down syndrome child didn't exist. Her family, yeah. everyone. It was as yeah. if he was in Yeah. So at that point, she kind of caved to pressure and, and put him in an institution. Um, and the guilt from that pretty much turned her into an alcoholic um, and ruined. Grief. There must have been so much grief from that too. Guilt and... Um, mm -hmm. And, and my mother did not know she had a brother until she was like 10 years old when her older sister told her. Um, and so my mother didn't, 
really understand what was going on in her house either. You know, like yeah. her house is a dysfunctional mess and she has no idea of why or what the source of any of it is. Her mother would leave for hours and come back and just drained and in tears. She'd gone to visit her brother, but you know, my mom didn't know what was going on. Right. Um, so, you know, hearing that story was very touching for me. Now the grandmother I knew was lovely. She had overcome her drinking problem, had become this wonderful, amazing, supportive grandmother. Um, so like the dichotomy between like the person who raised my mother and the person who was my grandmother was like two different people. That's um, yeah. It, it, it just, it's one of the things that's always made me grateful to live now. Um, and, and, and don't get me wrong, as a child, I wanted to be a, um, a you know, traveling across the prairie in a, um, in a wagon, you know, and, and playing, uh, and move in and become part of a Native American tribe and ride horses bareback. That is, you know, my dream. But in wanting to be a woman now is looking back on issues of women's health and mental health just recently became, uh, Sane became, you know, that there, there was, we looked past hysteria, we looked past stigma, we, you know, et cetera, and started looking for causes. And I've got a good friend with a beautiful um, daughter with Down syndrome that goes to mainstream school and different classes and stuff. This is only what, 50 years later? And, you know, and how hard it must be for women like your grandmother to see and to think, I wish I could have had my child now. You know, instead of then. So it was part of what, yeah. Yeah. Well, part of what I think has always bothered me, it, it, it sounds weird, but like a lot of times when you hear stories about things like that in the past, it's like the person who fights against it and beats the odds. And, and those are really heartwarming and wonderful stories. But for every one heroic person who said, I'm not going to listen to you and I'm going to do this thing and follow my heart and know it's right, there were hundreds, thousands of women who were good women who didn't. And right. their stories, they're just kind of looked on as like weak. And I don't think that's fair. No. I mean, when you think about, I mean, look, oh, this is a political bailiwick. Um, just <laughs> look right now at, at the last year and how quickly what we do changes and how, how are we going to look back on this year? In the future, don't know, right? But how quickly we made choices, changes, decisions, decided because we're told it's the best thing. And it very well may be, and you have to believe that at the time. But what will we say in 20 years? And it's like, we don't know because these women didn't know what we'd be saying in 20 years or 50 years, or the men, the fathers too. They listen to the best medical advice. And that's sometimes terrifying. And my father's a doctor and I say that with love. And he's the first person to say, we don't know what we don't know until we learn that we didn't know it. And then we learn later that we didn't know that either. <laughs> so it was very poignant to me, that part of the book. Um, and, and I thought it was very brave of you to write that. And especially given how close it is to your family, how did they all feel about you tackling this hard subject in the book? I was nervous. Um, my mom is a very open and um, sort of, I'll talk about anything kind of person. Um, so she was my first like, okay, read this draft. Tell me what you think. She was very supportive, you know, very, couldn't, couldn't have been more encouraging. Yeah. 
I was worried about my aunts. <laughs> yeah. Um, and um, I will say, you know, one of them took about a month to respond after the book came out. And I had, you know, warned her what was coming and that kind of thing. And and she said that it was very hard for her to read, but it was very refreshing to see her mother from my eyes because I hadn't seen the person that she kind of still resented. Right. Um, and that it was very healing and cleansing for her. And so this nearly made me cry. That was, I mean, it was a relief to like think that the book could have that kind of effect. Um, yes. I so, love that. Yeah. I love that. I think that we all do the best we can, right? Or, or most of us, let's let's say, let's give us all the benefit of the doubt and especially yeah. our family members and we do the best we can. And we just need to love each other anyway, which was kind of at the ending of, of this book, which I won't do spoilers on, but was very much about just loving each other anyway. And that you give your, everybody gives each other permission not to be perfect um, and, let love love, you know? Yeah. Let's all cry together now. Cause I am, um, <laughs> but the book wasn't sad. The book was, the book was funny. The book was hard. The book was touching. The book was romantic. The book was a love story between the granddaughter and the grandmother It was all those things. And at the same time, it was family secrets. It was sisters that bitterly fought it was um, diverse parenting styles and blame, you know, in other words, just authentic real life stuff. Um, and you wove it together all, uh, I thought, lovely. It really, um, it really knit together. How long did this process take you, the writing of such a cathartic personal book? Um, about five years. <laughs> I mean, there's some breaks in there. So I, mean, I didn't like work continuously. I thought it was done after about two and a half or so. Um, and then I got some feedback that let me know I had a massive rewrite ahead of me. Um, so I the kind writing of- is free writing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the story of the first novel, five years and oops, um, it's a totally different book. And, and it's, but where has that led you now? Are you working on another book? Are you still on the promotion process for this one? What's, what's going on? I, I'm working on something new. I'm still doing a lot of promotion. So it's kind of, I'm, struggling with the balancing of the two things at the moment. Uh-huh. Um, but beginning to carve out more and more time for the writing. Um, but yeah, but it's it's gonna be women's fiction, um, but it's like a dystopian women's fiction rather than this uh -huh. story. So a little a little different. Um, so we'll see, but um hopefully it'll resonate. That's fun. Well, do you enjoy the um getting out there and the marketing and promotion aspect of what a writer has to do? I do. You seem like someone that's comfortable with talking about your book, talking about yourself. Some writers are so not. But what I like even more about what you do is that you learned, uh, obviously, very quickly that it's about networking with and promoting reading, networking with other authors, promoting reading, promoting books, because people don't just read even Boop's Road Trip. They read a lot of books. And so, you know, I think that's wonderful that you caught on so fast. Tell us a little bit about the work you do with other authors. 
So I, I think what the work I'm doing currently with other authors is kind of two pronged. One is I have a blog. Um, it's called The Gift of Story. And I do author interviews there. I do literary care packages, which is like the idea of taking a book and then like other themed items that would make a great present for someone. Um, I do book recommendations. I do book club like it's usually a guest post with some author who's writing about how to have the perfect book club or um, a little side trip you could take with your book club that would be fun that's related to a book or something like that. Um, and the other piece of it is I am one of the co-founders of a Facebook group called Bookish Road Trip, which is where people who love to travel and love books come together and talk about both <laughs> and other random stuff. Yeah, um, it's, it's super cool. And you guys should check out the Facebook group. And can they find through Bookish Road Trip, the Facebook group, and through your website, Mary Helen Sheriff, can they link into all these different places they can get recommendations and read these? Yes. Yeah. So if you go to my blog specifically, so go to MaryHelenSheriff.com and there's a, in the menu, it says blog. And that's where all the interviews and all that kind of stuff is. Well, I think that's fantastic. And I love how it ties in thematically to what you did with your book as well. So kudos to you for being a great marketer. Um, I think sometimes that just either comes naturally or it doesn't to us uh, writers who tend to be introverts or at best socially, um, social, what do you call it? Social butterfly introverts. I think maybe you and I both fall into that category. We're, in a, we're comfortable out there talking, but we're more comfortable in our PJs writing our book. <laughs> I, I like kind of like straddle that introvert extrovert line. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really, really good spot to be. Well, I sure do appreciate you being on the show and for giving me an early read of Even Boop's Road Trip. You guys, it's really, it's a wonderful multi-generational story. Um, you will love the grandmother. I honestly, I think Boop stole the book. Um, in the essence, <laughs> it is her story. She's the matriarch. All the secrets started with her. The, all of the, the issues and problems, um, whether uh, uh, by choice or by heredity, you know, came from her generation. And so she's fantastic. Is there anything else that we should tell people before we wrap the show up about your book or about yourself that we've missed? Oh, I think you got it all. All the important stuff anyway. Well, I'm super glad. And you guys, thanks for tuning in today for another episode of Wine, Women and Writing. And you can catch, as I said earlier, you can catch um, old shows on the website under my um, uh, podcast page. And you can see both the YouTube versions and listen to the um, ears only podcast if you want and subscribe for an through the RSS feeds. Man, I can't talk this morning. Subscribe to the RSS feed so you can get them delivered automatically to your favorite device. And while you're out there, you can check out my brand new um, Patrick Flint book, Snaggletooth, which, gosh, I, Eve did this so much better than me. But I will tell you that it is about Patrick Flint, um, who finds out on Blacktooth Mountain in Wyoming that not every person is um, worth saving. Patrick has had a big problem as a physician with thinking everyone needed his help. So we'll see if this is the case where he finally realizes not every life is worth saving. All right. Check you guys later. Thanks again, Mary. Thank you. Mm -hmm.